Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. In 1993, schoolboy Mark Sorensen got 20 out of 20 for an essay about the dangers of plastic packaging. 29 years later, Mark and his business partner and wife Ellie Sorensen have established Cleanery, a Kiwi startup that's attracted millions in venture capital and now has products ranged across New Zealand and Australian supermarkets. Cleanery removes the water and the plastic bottle from household cleaners, offering instead a sachet of cleaning powder. Simply tip the powder into any bottle, add warm water, shake and presto you've got the beginnings of a sparkling clean bathroom kitchen or in my case a very schmick office desk. Now a declaration of interest, I do some consulting work for Cleanery and have invested a tiny fraction via the Climate Venture Capital Fund. So, um, well, Ellie and Mark, thanks for joining me on this climate business. Thanks for having us. Hey, yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome to be in here. Um, so, Mark, that essay, uh, I mean, if I was a PR person, ha-ha, that, <laughs> that would be a dream entry into telling the story about cleanery. Did it actually happen? <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it's an interesting one. So we, uh, there's this essay I wrote back when I was like 14, 28 years ago. Um, and, and the timing of that almost couldn't be better as well, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But um, it was an essay I wrote when I was in fourth form, I think, um, 28 years ago, so you can sort of guess my age a wee bit there. Um, but I really Ancient. wrote it. I really got 20 out of 20 for it, which was doing well for me in, in English, I think it would have been. Um, but um, my mother kept a box of the sort of bits and pieces, the sort of few certificates I got through school and memorable sort of things like that, and, um, and delivered it around probably about... A couple of years ago, like after Cleanery had started, and, and here was this essay. I vaguely remembered writing it, and I think there was a um, a, a couple of other bits that went with it. Um, but it was gold because we'd started Cleanery, um, and then this was the thing. It was titled The Packaging Problem. And the essay talked about the issue with excessive packaging and the environmental damage that that caused and what people should be doing to mm. avoid it and what companies should be doing to avoid it. And even talked about cleaning products. Um, and it, it's so. Did you go some, from that that point? Have you sort of always been obsessed with cleaning products, or you know what was the the connection then between that and you actually starting? There's so I haven't always certainly haven't always been obsessed about cleaning products. One thing I have always been obsessed about is the sort of the issue of excessive packaging. Um, and like we talk about the packaging problem, or which which essay was titled, we talk about single use plastics and the issues that it's causing. And if you look. Like just using some sort of stats, so that was 28 years ago. Um, in another 28 years, it's uh, two th- like 2050, um, and there's all sorts of scary stuff, like more plastic than fish in the ocean and all that sort of thing. And so when you look at what we're trying to solve at Cleaner, we're trying to solve that um, issue of excessive packaging, the craziness of shipping water around the world, um, and the insanity of, of just single-use packaging, single-use plastics, mm. Um, and the damage that that causes. That's what we're trying to solve. And um, I guess, like, it's very much a real we say, and it's something that we show to investors, we show to, um, like, buyers and supermarkets and everything like that when we're presenting the products. Um, and it shows that it's something that we've been sort of talking about forever mm. um, and finally doing something about, which is which is really exciting. Mm. But it is, a, it's a sort of, you, I couldn't have written it better. <laughs> I think it was literally on a, ty- on, a, um, on a typewriter, which sort of partly shows my age as well. 
Yeah, that's so cool. Um, Ali, let's just talk about the product. So mm-hmm. how does it work? Like, what is it? It's in a sachet, but, it's you know, what's in the sachet? It's a sachet of um, highly scientific powder that you add to water and um, just mix it up quickly at home. I guess we can um, link back to Mark's essay that he's always had a passion about reducing packaging and that business mind of things. My passion is very much reducing our impact on the planet. So it kind of two minds came together. He has this passion. He watched me at home making my own cleaning products and thinking there's just got to be a better way than this. And that's where the kind of first seed of an idea came from was watching my own small efforts at home and thinking, how can we make this possible for everybody and in a much better way than these kind of sad attempts that I was making at home? Let's get some proper science behind it. Mm. So that's how the process began was kind of figuring out how how did we apply some science to the idea of reducing the packaging in the home and creating a product that was super easy to make up but actually worked so mm. it was kind of the the meeting of minds my eco conscience and mark's business and packaging brain came together and collided to create this um this unique product and how, how does the product work and so far as you've you you get a sachet of the product and then how does how do you use it at home so super easy just literally tear the sachet open tip it into a bottle of uh, warm water shake it and it's instantly ready to go so there's no waiting time no mixing up no like faffing around or mess um, we recently did a survey of all our customers because we like to keep on top of what they're thinking and 100% of them came back and said it was super easy to make at home which was really reassuring that mm. we've got it got it right and it's an easy mix up because I think I'd, I, I speak as a time poor parent but nobody wants something that adds more hassle to their life so it had to be something that worked really easily that wasn't a kind of yeah. 10 step process or leave it there and come back in 20 minutes and make sure the water's the right temperature and don't spill it on your hands because it's toxic it had to be a really easy process that even our like kids can do it's really really straightforward and easy yeah. and the point is everyone's got bottles at home left over from sprays and exactly. various bathroom cleansers and do you care that cleanery product is going into dare I say it eco store or a personal or a uh, or a GIF bottle? Oh, absolutely not. We think everyone should use what they've already got, and if they don't have a bottle, then we've got very hardy, reusable bottles, but we absolutely encourage people to use what they have already. I think that's part of the whole ethos of yeah. the brand. And yeah. We have stickers you can stick on your bottle. You don't have to stick anything on your bottle, but the whole point is use what you have. If you don't have it, we'll supply you with a long-lasting bottle, but absolutely use up what you have. We don't have any problem with our, we'd like to think, superior product going into other people's bottles. <laughs> It's such a simple idea, and like many simple ideas, when you first see it, you think, surely someone has done that. Has someone done it? And when you started out on the journey, that that must have been one of the first kind of questions you asked yourself, right? A hundred percent. So when we... When we started, like, well, when I sort of started thinking about it, it was back at the how do we go and reduce the amount of packaging that's being used. You look at cleaning and personal care, because we make the surface sprays, your kitchen, bathroom, multi-purpose type sprays that, that people use, and we've got hand washers and that sort of product as well. So it's sort of cleaning and personal care. And it's when, when you look at that, it's a massive industry. It's like a half-trillion-dollar industry globally. Mm. literally touches billions of people each and every day. Um, and yet it's based on shipping water around the world and bulky packaging that you're going to throw away. Um, so for us, that was a real opportunity. So it was bulky packaging um, that's being used by a lot of people. So chance to have a big impact, reducing that problem, reducing the emissions from shipping it around and mm. throwing away things, but also obviously the ability to build a sort of proper business. It's investable and profitable and it's going to grow quickly as well. 
Um, so that's why we settled on that as a as an industry, and well as as a market to to really go and sort of prove the concept. And then it was like, how do you go and completely redevelop the product? Because you can you look at the sort of the refill. Um, type concepts that are going into supermarkets and that sort of thing. And that's great, right? Like um, if people want to go and spend the time to, to take the bottles in and, and refill them in store, like like great and all, all power to them. But the fact is, is the sort of the everyday sort of shopper, the mainstream consumer, where the real volume of this is, where the, yeah. where the billions of bottles are, <coughs> um, they, they might think that they'll do that, but in practice they just sort of don't. You just don't. I mean, we, we are very um, loyal eco-store customers uh, at home, and there's an eco-store refill station very close to us. I can't remember the last time we refilled. Mm. Because you forget the bottles, you don't have time. So it's kind of that, that's kind of your point, isn't it? You need to fit this sort of alternative into people's business. The reality is, is that most people are really time poor and they don't want to take any step that's going to make their life more difficult. So we had to develop a product that was going to make their life easy, but also, I mean, you asked about has this product, has this concept been done before? Yes, it has. Has it been done well? We don't think it has been done particularly well. So that was our main goal, was getting that science behind the product and doing a proper job to create a product that actually cleans properly because at the end of the day a cleaning product has to clean and most people aren't willing to compromise on a product that doesn't clean for the sake of the environment it's you know especially in the time of covid where you just want your house to be clean you want your family to be safe you don't want an average product so that was our big challenge and that's when we really feel like we came to the table with and and succeeded with so mark can probably talk a bit more about the um that that challenge because my goodness when we set out to do it we thought it would be easy and it absolutely isn't easy to develop a effective um Refillable. Well, you should know you've um, mixed potions. I've in your done kitchen lots of potions, the and they were very average. So. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, it sounds sort of silly, right? You when you buy a cleaning product, you want it to clean, or if you buy a hand soap, you want it to leave your hands sort of soft and clean and moisturised. Um, sound, sounds obvious, but then when you look at the alternatives, like um, unfortunately, many of them didn't. And we started on this. Um, everything's measured in COVID time now, isn't it? So I remember we was, I was having a whole lot of discussions with. Um, some people I knew in universities and scientists and chemists that I was working with in a, in a previous sort of life as a tech consultant, I guess you'd say. Mm. Um, so I was talking to all of them about how would we go and make these um, make make a product that eliminated the water um, from from cleaning products. Initially, looking at the cleaning products, how, how would we go and do that? And initially, I was calling it um, thinking of a tablet. And there were there was a couple of companies. I think there was one company particularly um, offshore that had these cleaning tablets. So you drop a tablet into a bottle of water and it dissolves mm-hmm. over half an hour, and and then you've got a cleaning spray. Um, problem is, is those ones didn't really work. But I sort of thought, well, if it, it's a great concept, if you go and get that and actually make it work, so that it cleaned better than your um, your spray and wipe or your or your Dettol or the products that you're already using, then, mm. then you'd be on to a real winner. So I was calling it the Barocca of Cleaning Products initially. Um, and and we, I, I found a couple of people who had, had deep backgrounds in developing these type of products, your, your spray and wipes and that sort of thing, um, a lot of commercial products like that, but also understood like plant-based chemistry um, and the real science that went behind it. Um, so working with them, we quickly discovered that the, the, the tablet concept was never going to fly. So a whole lot of reasons why that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, can't get enough stuff through the neck of the bottle is, is the, in, in essence. Yeah. But that um, you might be able to go and make a product that really worked with a, with a powder. Um, so we sort of proved that at bench scale quite, quite quickly. But the struggle was then. This it, is in it, New Zealand. You found the, the chemists. Yeah, so the it was a chemist here. Yeah, exactly. So it was a. a 
exactly was that. It's a real mix of people that needed to be brought together to make it happen. So the yeah. chemistry was one part. So how do you go into a formulation that that'll work that doesn't involve water? Um, and 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 that formulation was it, t- it took sort of some time to de- develop. Because it doesn't involve water, but it isn't packed full of yucky toxins. Yeah, and, and that's the ingredients because there are also powder or you know just add water products out there but they are packed full of the real nasty so that was the other caveat is that it had to be naturally formulated and, and kind on the planet and kind on the people who use it as well so that was another restriction that was right. facing the teams and not just yeah that's a, a really good point yeah. um when you when you're coming with a strong eco message of course around the um removing of water and removing a packaging and everything um, you also have to be really delivering on a promise of an eco- environmentally friendly product as well so it has to be a sort of a no nasties type formulation which mm. means predominantly plant and mineral based needs to be highly biodegradable and can't accumulate or anything like that yeah um so that was a, an extra bit that made it harder but the thing that was really um challenging is how do you go and make this product this powder in, in high volume and get, get it to consumers for the right price because not only do people want products that work they have to be sort of priced at the right at the, at the right um, amount as well. It's incredibly sort of an elastic pricing for a lot of these products. Yeah. Um, people look at what's on special. And then also it needs to be available where people are buying products, right? So you need to be able to sell them through supermarkets and, and that sort of thing. And, and they take like horrendous margins out of it all. Um, and, and then you need to get the product to the supermarket um, for the right price. So it means that the manufacturing costs have to be really really low and, and cost yeah. effective as well. So these are m- multiple hurdles. So all these hurdles have, exactly. have kept people out of that solution um, or that you know that or product category. Solutions that maybe tick three of those ten boxes. So they've gone. Well, you know, we'll do an eco product, but it won't clean very well. Or we'll do a um, just add water, but it's super toxic. Or we'll do, you know, there's all these compromises. So our goal was the no compromise. We had to tick all these boxes. It had to be affordable. It had to be effective. It had to be. Um, plant and renewable base that had to be made in New Zealand it had to be easily transportable and available and so all these tech boxes we had to yeah. get to to get to this kind of hero product which we did but um, that's that's why we believe that a lot of people kind of fall along the wayside because it is really difficult to tick all those boxes yeah 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 sure well now j- let's just take a little kind of brackets let's talk about those nasties because we'll come back to the story of how you ended up resolving it but I'm interested uh, let's do a bit of chemistry now so um, sodium laurel sulfate is usually the thing that's picked on as kind of like the nasty that's going to poison fish and and um, and kill plants and other things. What are the nasties? And is sodium laurel sulfate the one? Um, SLS sodium laurel sulfate is. So I, I guess take a step back. Um, there's there's a whole lot of things that people think are bad. And then there's a whole lot of things that are genuinely bad, and then there's a whole lot of sort of misinformation in between. So mm. if you look at sodium lauryl sulfate, and there's other companies that we, we don't use that in our formulation, not necessarily because it's particularly nasty. Um, combined with the wrong things, it can be it can be bad. And, and I guess just caveat here is I'm I'm not a chemist myself. I've sort of grown to understand. It. I'm an engineer originally, but yeah. Um, but sodium lauryl sulfate, I mean, you see a lot of companies that say that, for instance, use sodium lauryl sulfate, but they'll have a, a very similar product and um, ingredient called sodium cocoa sulfate, which we use in some of our cleaners. Um, and and point, point, point that I'm trying to make is that um, I guess you have a lot of internet sites, a lot of people that sort of half understand uh-huh. chemistry that will say sodium lauryl sulfate's bad or this is bad or that is bad. 
um, when there might be some truth to it, but then there, there's no, it's not always true. So using this, the SLS, the sodium lauryl sulfate example, um, a lot of companies will say that they've got no sodium lauryl sulfate in when in fact they use sodium cocosulfate, which is very similar sort of thing. Sounds like right. it's made from coconuts. Sometimes it is, but, but not always. Mm-hmm. And, and what are the other nasties that you yeah. uh, typically in a detergent or in a cleaner that you you avoided? So there, there's all sorts of things. So like for a start, avoiding a lot of synthetics. Um, we do have some synthetics in, in our products um, for preservatives and stability state, but mm-hmm. we keep them right down um, because, of course, if you're trying to not have a whole lot of plastic in there, you don't want to have a whole lot of oil-derived products in there. So you have sort of plant and mineral-based highly biodegradable products. Um, there's things like you have parabens, um, for instance, in a lot of the preservatives. Um, or there, There's a whole lot of different ingredients that are sort of, depending on how they're used, can be really quite nasty. Um, and, and so we avoid those. And they are common in... They're common in a lot mainstream of... Mainstream... common in a lot of mainstream part. ones. Like I wouldn't say in, in, in all... Um, but, yeah, they're, they're certainly common in a lot of them. And a lot of the big companies, um, and I won't say all, but a lot of the big companies, they just sort of skirt around where the legislation stands and as mm-hmm. products start to get banned or start to become um, known as being more harmful for whatever reason, they'll stop using it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, And there's different reasons. Like, for, for instance, biodegradability is important, of course. You don't want to have um, the chemicals accumulating and the environment, and mm. so, so that that's an issue. You have other things that are, for instance, potentially sort of arguably carcinogenic, and you want to avoid yeah avoid those. And the you know the saying is the solution to pollution is dilution. So things like leads and uh, chlorides are natural occurring. I mean they're elements, but um, is it? Kind of about getting the balance right. Is that is that kind of your point? It's it's partly about getting the balance right. It's partly about using the right ingredients to to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the the point around things just because something's natural doesn't mean it's good as well. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and yeah. just because something's um, naturally derived doesn't mean it's really all that natural either. Yeah. Um, like if I think if you see it's sort of a lot of the. Um, Branding and ads for a lot of products, you, you sort of think that these companies have coconuts delivered to their door. <laughs> uh, we don't, and certainly no one, no one really does. Yeah, um, it all it all comes in a in a in a big bag, mm. and and that the ingredients that get mixed together, or in our case, get um, go through a, a process to make our products. Mm-hmm. And have you verified or had some sort of independent assessment that can attest to the eco quality of the powder? Yeah, for sure. So, and and that is important as well because the claims that you make, no one, no one really believes what you say yourself. Um, so we have a whole lot of different independent tests that are done. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only within the team, we've got a strong scientific and engineering um, background with it within the team. There's like a hundred years combined sort of experience there, but we work with a whole lot of labs, both to test the efficacy of the products to make mm. sure that the claims we're making around how well they work are true. Um, does it kill germs? Does it not kill germs? That sort of thing. Yeah. But also um, around the safety and the, how how toxic or, or not they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and we and we go a lot further than you have to for that. Um, there, there's yeah, there's yeah. independent consultancies that we work with. There. Mm-hmm. It's a company called SGS is a a consultancy that do a lot of that work for mm-hmm. us. And do they provide some sort of badge or something that 
you know, is, it, is that how it works? We, you yeah. can get a hold of, there's, there's all the different certifications you can get. Yeah. Um, we, we, we will get a lot more of those in the future. At this stage, it's mostly so that we know that the products are good and also that we can show to stakeholders as well. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, in New Zealand, you don't have to do too much. Pretty much a lot of what you need to do in New Zealand is all sort of self-certifying. Right. Um, whereas we're wanting to grow internationally as a business. And so as you start to start, especially going into the United States, into the States where it's a lot more litigious and there's a lot more regulation around that, you need to do a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're pretty open. I'd say about what we put into the products on our website. We have the list of all our no nasties. You know, no no solvents, no parabens, no dyes, no all of those. But we also have the kind of contents of what we put in on a broad sense, and also just explaining a bit about what those are and what they do. Because I think, you know, people are oh no solvents that's great what is a solvent like I know I know all about solvents but I think before I got into this I had no idea about any of these ingredients and people kind of have a vague idea of what they think they know so mm-hmm. we try and kind of be a bit like this is what this is for this is why we put it in this is its role in the in the formulation right. we also have a very um accessible head scientist so anyone who comes to us with a question about will this work in my worm farm will this work with this we can get back to them really quickly and be like yes it will or this won't or please don't do that or yeah um yeah yeah I think it's we're quite open about how we kind of bring those things together to make the formulation without revealing our <laughs> without revealing our recipe of course yeah. but um yeah not you know not kind of being smoke and mirrory about it sure well that's that's great so your tagline is super green super clean or is it super clean super green no. super clean super green right so <laughs> that we sort of touched on the green part but you you've also put a lot of emphasis on efficacy right like this yes. this thing actually works mm-hmm. tell, tell me about that Ellie like how, how that's, do, how I do mean you that's know? our Um, I guess the excessive testing we've put it through the um, the reports we do we have used the international standard testing which is um, as basic as using a kind of baked on tile that has to be created following a set standard and then you apply your product and you rub it across the tile and see how quickly it removes the product and you Mm. can compare very easily between different products that way but I'm also just I guess our biggest validation has been our customer base it's just we're constantly blown away by how much people love the product when we make it we love it we know it works but when you get it into people's hands and um, have the validation it's really satisfying to know that they love it and it does really work I think the biggest thing we get is oh I didn't think it would work that well but I wanted to give it a go because I want to try and do better by the planet but it actually worked and this is awesome so I think people are often quite surprised that it works well because traditionally most eco products don't that's the compromise it's great for the planet but because they don't have all those nasties in them they don't actually work that well so Mm -hmm. I think that's always kind of people's like oh oh, yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised by this. This is really good, and, you know, we are really proud of how well the products work. But that, yeah, I think getting it into people's hands and letting them try it is really important to yeah. us because once they try it, they keep using it, which is great. Uh, we on your website, and I've seen it in your office, is that little tester with the, the tile with test, the, the yeah. baked on yes. uh, tile <laughs> test. And um, you've compared with other eco-cleaners. Mm-hmm. It performs quite well. But how does it compare to the... Um, you know, to the full-on nasties. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, it compares really well. So if you look at what we to, – to convert your sort of mainstream shopper to sustainable products, which which is our mission, um, it, you have to have products that really work. And because people people are genuinely, generally pretty sceptical about a lot of eco-products, and in many cases, rightfully, unfortunately, mm. um, I think there's something like 93% of people think that they have an eco-conscience – um, it's based on, on some research that was done by the 
media agency that we work with. Um, but then 82% of people think that um, eco products don't work or are overpriced. Oh. <laughs> so you sort of have this like, well, we, we, want to, we want to use products that are environmentally friendly, but we don't think they work and we think that we pay too much for them. Mm. Um, and in many cases, unfortunately, that's true. So when you go and look at this tile test, which is quite an objective test of how well like the cleaning products, for example, work, you, you see that like a lot of the tablets, um, dissolvable tablets or, or things like that, they really just don't work. They're kind of like using water. And a lot of the eco-cleaners are, are a bit better than that, but, but not a heap better. Mm. Um, and then you have your sort of your, your best-selling type products that are sort of full fat, full chemical type things. Um, they, they do clean pretty well. And so what we sort of said is we need to have products that cleans at least as well or probably better than those other ones because people have a natural sort of scepticism towards yeah. eco-products, we actually have to surprise and delight by going beyond what they're already using. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, our products are, are better than, certainly better than the, the best-selling type ones. Um, and there's a couple of, um, when you look at like, the kitchen cleaner, for instance, which really needs to cut through grease and, and grime, um, it's, it's as good or as better than the, the best of the best when you look at the um, cleaning performance right. on that tile test or if you go and look at the companies that are rated well by... Choice Australia or Consumer NZ or anything like mm. that. Bill Gates talks about the green premium as this mm-hmm. uh, inevitable margin that sits on top of green products just because, well, for all sorts of reasons, right? But well, oil is a fantastic product. It, it has so many applications into plastics and into fuels. So, that, so are you going for that green premium? Are you, are you going for a higher price to... Uh, capture that sentiment or do you think actually you need to compete right down in the mainstream? In, in our case we actually have to be cheaper than the mainstream because we want to con- convert a mainstream shopper to sustainable products, right? So the product has to work um, but it also has to be priced, right? It's an, it is an elastic pricing in there. Uh-huh. Um, people will go into a supermarket and they'll look at what's on special and, and they'll buy that. Um, but then in our case because they're not buying a bottle, whilst that's a benefit of course, that they don't need a bottle um, because they can reuse what they've already got. It, well, also, it's a benefit. It's also in, in the mind of someone who's buying it, they're sort of thinking, man, I'm not getting a bottle here, so it should be cheaper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it actually has to be cheaper. Um, yeah, and and we're able to go and do that um, and still obviously make money and still have margins for the, um, the supermarkets and everyone because of, the, because of the fact we've developed our own manufacturing processes. Um, so we're able to manufacture incredibly efficiently there and, and any sort of volume that we need. Yeah. Um, but also the, the lightweight nature of the product comes into its own there as well. If you can think about um, all the steps that a bottle of what's essentially just water needs to go through to get to the consumer. Yeah. Like it's made probably in, like if it's a mainstream sort of product, maybe it's made in Thailand or, um, or Europe or, or somewhere like that. And so you have a great big plant that needs to handle like millions of these bottles and it has to be able to go and fill millions of bottles with, with water in the product. So there's a great big factory footprint that's needed to be developed. Somewhere. Right. Then yeah. this thing needs to be shipped around the world and then you can only fit a couple of these bottles on the shelf so they have to be stored out the back in the supermarket and forklifts and everything to sort of shift them all around. Whereas we've got this tiny little sachet mm. that mm. can... That, that A, it can be made close to, the, close to market because we've got sort of super efficient sort of manufacturing processes... But it just requires a whole lot less energy and logistics and handling yeah, to yeah. go and get it to people. So you have some savings there, which which means that we can get the right products in people's hands without that green premium. 
which is really important to us. I think um, so many people are priced out of the sustainability market, especially now with cost of living so Mm. high. And it makes it almost, um, what's the word, privileged to be able to go down the eco route. And we just feel like to make major change, you just can't have that layer of privilege over it. It has to be something that's just affordable for the everyday person. And it's not a question of can I afford this? It's Am I willing to give it a try rather than oh no, I can't I can't pay six bucks for a yeah. bottle of cleaner when my normal cleaner is three dollars or something like that. So that was that was one of our really important check boxes was that it was affordable. Um, I wonder so how many other um, industries could take that approach because that that's an enormous challenge. You think about food, for instance. You know, mm. one of the reasons bacon is so popular and chicken is so popular is because um, you can produce this stuff with kind of minimal ethics and so (laughs) your your cost component is really low for producing you know delicious protein and who cares about the the chickens or the pigs in the process and and to add those kind of levels of ethics and animal care and um, you know sort of half decent um, treatment of the environment just keeps adding layers of cost Mm -hmm. right and do you think that what you're doing is re- replicable? Um, you know the word I mean? Rep- replicable. Rep- that's the one. <laughs> Can it be repeated in other sectors? Or have you hit upon this sort of weird space where by eliminating bottles and water, you've actually made a massive saving? I. So, so to answer the question, I think it's very replicable across a whole lot of different sectors. How desirable that is, I suppose, depends on the sector. But what it does require is that you completely rethink how you do things. Right. Um, Like instead of just going and um, (coughs) putting 75% recycled content in our bottles, we had to go and completely rethink about how how products were formulated and completely rethink about how they were made and everything like that. Yeah. But there are plenty of examples like – in, in food and beverage, for instance, like soda streams, something that's been around forever. It's certainly around when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and, and that uses the same sort of example, right? Like, why ship a whole lot of water around when you get water in your tap? Um, mm. Just go and have a reusable CO2 cartridge to, to put the fizz in your drink. Yeah. Um, and there's other things like that. There's, there are sort of plenty of other examples. It's just uh, the willingness behind whether people are wanting to make the change. I don't think the change yeah. is impossible at all. Like, we've proven it can easily be done, but it's the drive behind it and that is the problem with the mainstream cleaning industry is that they've all got these enormous huge facilities that are generated purely to make bottles of products so the idea of changing track is almost impossible so it's just when you've invested in this huge infrastructure that is simply to churn out millions and millions of bottles to then go actually we're not going to make the bottles and we're going to have to completely redevelop our machinery and our formulations like that's a massive U-turn for those kind of companies, which is why I think it's not happening as quickly as it's like the world a, needs it to. Like a gambler, um, you, know, you know, with the sunk cost, isn't it? Of, yeah. You know, I've oh. invested this much, I have to carry on. Yeah, and to, you can't. We've spent our whole time saying this is the best product to then go. Actually, it's not the best product. Is <laughs> a whole different, you know, approach. So I think interesting. It's not because dissolvables aren't the way of the future because they absolutely are and I think we'll look back in a couple of years and we will not believe that we used to have these aisles and aisles of bottles that we'd use once and throw in the bin it's just that it's going to take a big shift for that kind of mainstream and is that why innovation like to change this, yeah but why the innovation has to come from a couple living in yeah, exactly you know, <laughs> that's up against Unilever who, who presumably oh. have thought about this I mean that's I mean, the thing that really have, yeah. yeah but again like we when you've invested in, in your in existing 
infrastructure. It's hard yeah. to make mm-hmm. that immediate change. So mm. I think a lot of that change will does come from startups yep. in general. Um, like big businesses are set up for incremental innovation. Um, mm. I think if you're sort of sceptical, you'd say they set up for incremental innovation, and then they'll go and buy. Um, other businesses where, they, where they've sort of seen that, that something's proven to work and there's sunk costs and there's all sorts that of a little kind of that. advertisement clean <laughs> <reasons> <laughs> <No>. for sale <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but, but then so I think a lot of it does and that's just in general like um, a lot of real innovation like game changing innovation does come from new entrants into mm. a market who sort of mm. look at something quite differently oh, the we problem, have the freedom to do it we yeah. have an idea we can go and play with it on the shop floor and it's you know we've Develop, whereas in a big company you'd have to go through multiple streams of people and approvals and it, it would be yeah. a very slow process whereas we can yeah. have a play and develop something quite quickly. There are two things we um, haven't touched on which we, we probably should um, before uh, we race off to our day jobs. Um, you talked about, I remember talking to you a while ago about the benefit of COVID was you set up your own factory. You were originally imagining manufacturing in a big place like China or Southeast Asia or South America, right? But COVID has given you this kind of resilience or this sort of weird opportunity to create your own factory. Tell me about that. Yeah, that is a really good point. So I think I said earlier, like everything's measured in COVID years now. So we <laughs> sort of started the development, like it was something I've been thinking about and talking about for, for ages. Yeah. Um, but we started development in earnest. And I remember having some meetings with people who have wound up to become partners, um, like right before the first lockdowns were happening. Um, we signed the lease on our building that we're in right now, right before the Auckland lockdown, so it was only any good for the kids to ride the scooters around. <laughs> um, but but one thing that was really important, there was, there was already before COVID, there was a lot of talk about onshoring, about manufacturers that have traditionally been offshoring to low-wage um, countries and economies mm. um, to, to be bringing that back onshore. Um, so there's already quite a bit of talk about that and the fact that you have robotics and, and things like that and automation enabling that. And then COVID came along and borders were being shut down and supply chains were sort of sent into disarray and that just really sped it up like, like nothing else. And so we were developing our processes right when that happened. And so we sort of thought, right, there's already this onshoring sort of um, discussion. Supply chains are getting like hectic to, to say the least. Yeah. Um, we're not going to go and try and get someone in China or, or something like that to make our products. We're going to have to go and really work out how to make them here in New Zealand and, and sort of close to market. And so then when you go and do that, you sort of you completely change how you think about manufacturing. And so what we've actually ended up developing is a, um, a really sort of modular, scalable manufacturing plant. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll, we've got to the point now where we can sort of – we've got the capacity for New Zealand and Australia where we're selling product, especially in Australia – um, and, and more and more in New Zealand. Um, and then as we start to enter the US, for instance, we'll, we'll supply the US market exporting from New Zealand, but the real goal there will be to go and replicate the manufacturing plant that we have in New Zealand over there so that you eliminate all that sort of hassle of having to um, have supply chains um, going into different parts of, yeah, the, of the world. Yeah, that's genius. It reminds me a little bit of Mint Innovation, the way that they've got this kind of... Um, you know, urban mine in a box and they can, you know, they've got their plant in Sydney, but there's no reason why they couldn't build more plants close to market. I oh, exactly. And interestingly, our head of engineering um, was, was a tiny bit involved in Mint Innovation and there's another deep tech company called Avatana and another one called Lanzatech that people in the sort of deep tech, clean tech sort of space will know all about. Um, and so when I talk about getting different um, 
disciplines that people are involved in. So Dave Hassel, who's the head of engineering and process, he's developed these plants for sort of quite different type of companies. But it's how do you go and build a, a manufacturing plant um, that takes something from being a, a concept on, a, on the bench, like at lab scale, and then yeah. go and build it up to commercial scale. And that's a, a sort of a special sort of discipline that doesn't really exist within most companies. Mm. So we need to get people like, like Dave, um, people like Gun Bernard and Dennis, who are our sort of scientists, and combine all those different skill sets together mm. to create something that's quite different. And I guess that's probably what you don't really get within big companies. You don't get the ability to go and sort of just really play around with the fundamental building blocks of a business mm. in the way that a startup has. And the fundamental proposition in that case is small-scale manufacturing, right? Is that what you're saying? Is well, it's small-scale manufacturing, but with the economies of scale. We're bringing the economies of scale right down so that um, you've right. got economies of scale um, at like a sort of a local or, or regional level so that you don't have to go and have one great big sort of centre of manufacturing excellence at, at one place on the go, but rather you can distribute that manufacturing close huh. to where your customers are. Yeah, which and goes to your resilience point, and, mm-hmm. and they talk about this in George Mombio's book. He talks about how... We've built this food system, sorry, just back to food for a minute, but we've built this food system around uh, efficiency, which has reduced the number of large suppliers down to like four and the number of ports down to sort of a, just a handful, and which has made it optimised but incredibly unresilient when it comes to getting a, a ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah, and we've all, yeah, exactly, um, and... There, there was there was a lot of that thinking that was already happening before COVID, like I say, but yeah, it just really sped it up. And there, there was the, the boat stuck in the Suez Canal that was that was there. Yeah, uh, and even like we we've been scaling up our factory, um, so we've had to go and bring in bits of equipment from from China, for instance. And like the effect of having a lockdown in Shanghai, and the, the like. Fortunately for us, it hasn't affected the business, but it did mean that bits mm. of equipment took months and months longer. Mm. And I was. At that stage, just feeling so glad that we weren't having to import our product from Shanghai. Otherwise, right. we'd, we'd be having some pretty tough, <laughs> tough discussions with supermarkets because yeah. we just wouldn't be able to supply. There's also yep. a lot of advantage. Sorry, interrupt. Um, to knowing how your product's made and who it's made by, and yeah. you know, there's no mystery around our product. We know exactly who made it and how it was made and what tweaks we can make, and we're not having to wait months for a sachet that could be made by anybody to be shipped in, which, to be honest, is what most of the kind of manufacturing just their water people are doing is a lot of them are shipping it in from offshore. And I just think it's really important that we know exactly who made our product. That's really important. Yeah. Our team is amazing and we're really proud of them. And it's really cool to have us all on, on site here in Auckland and knowing exactly who's making our product and who's behind everything. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, our team are incredible. We're really proud of them. Another level, it means you're employing people in quite high-paid knowledge industry uh, knowledge economy kind of jobs aren't you you're, yep. you're, you know you're employing scientists and um, manufacturing MS, specialists engineers, engineers. yeah yeah and then that is also important as well and the, and that comes back to sort of the fundamental fact that the product's small and lightweight and, and easy it means that things are inherently easy to automate you don't need to spend millions of dollars on mm. automation systems because it's that's small and is inherently easy to sort of pack and shift and Put together, uh, so you don't like need a to have dream a whole scenario. Lot of yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it is um, taking it to market's a whole other thing. Well, let's talk about that. that. Was my second question. So, tell me about how sales are going. Where are you selling, and and what's the ambition? You know, where could this be sold? 
So Ambition's getting mainstream shoppers, mainstream consumers using sustainable products, right? So we talk about that a lot. And that, and that effect drives a lot of what we're doing. So it means that we need – most people buy cleaning and personal care products in supermarkets. So we have to have products that are available in supermarkets. Um, and so we're, we're partnered with a company called Parve, who are distributors for New Zealand and Australia. So that's our initial focus. We've mm. done especially well in Australia initially. Uh, we launched in New Zealand – Online almost exactly a year ago now, so it's almost the, the sort of first birthday of being um, launched. We launched with Faro and some specialty stops, uh, shops, and online in New Zealand, and that and that proved that people really liked the products and that they were going to buy them and that they would buy them in the in a supermarket sort of environment. Yeah, um, the first real conversations that we had beyond the sort of the specialty store. Um, happened to be in Australia with Woolworths. That was the timing for the yeah. buying cycle. Supermarkets have a sort of a real um, strict buying cycle, and it mm-hmm. happened to work with with Woolworths, who were excited by what we we're doing, and so we we arranged across um, sort of just under two hundred stores in Amazing. Woolworths, which was exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of other um, large chains in, in Australia as well that we we arranged in, and um, probably by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be across the sort of the foodstuffs, New World, and um, Pack and Saves. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly in the South Island of New Zealand and more and more on the North Island um, and a couple of other um, big retailers that will have the product certainly on the shelves before Christmas, Yeah, which is which is really exciting. It so. is exciting. And they, they are tough customers, right? So you know, they're going to be giving you a crack and then is there kind of a, a moment of um, kind of, I don't know, looking at the numbers and saying, can we keep ranging you? Or does that happen all the time? That, that happens all the time. I, I think it's... Um, I, I say it with a smile, but the supermarkets are ruthless. Um, and they've obviously got a, a business, and, and this is not, not to sort of have a go at the supermarkets because they're vital, incredibly important partners for us. Um, but they need to go and make sure that the products that are on their shelves are shifting. Mm. Um, and so they are always looking at that. On, on the plus side, and I think it's actually really encouraging when you're talking to the people in the supermarkets, the buyers and the merchandising people in the supermarkets, they do really see this as the way of the future, and they, and they genuinely do. Um, so we get put on the shelf next to um, your Ajaxes and the, and the Dettols and all that sort of thing. Um, essentially unproven. Mm-hmm. and Because the logic is so the, and the, Yeah, the, the logic's there. And, the, and they're all, they, they are sort of saying, like, look, make sure, you, make sure you're selling okay. Make sure you've got the right marketing plans to, to make that happen. Yeah. But, but we are really keen to work with you, and, and they genuinely are keen to work right. with you to make this grow as a segment, grow as a category. Mm. And and to support that because they sort of see in sort of your sort of three to five years they really do see it as the way of the future. Right. Um, so you're given a wee bit more leeway than perhaps you would if you were just bringing in a sort of a, a more generic product that, yeah. that they that they that they wouldn't believe in. And one of your investors is Peter Cullinane through his company, the Foundry. And you know one of the things Peter did with Lewis Road Creamery is he went down the dairy aisle. He started with his butter, moved into milk had the sensation of chocolate milk. Um, so we're looking forward to some sort of sensation from you. <laughs> I don't know, probably not chocolate. Um, but he's just sort of making his way down that aisle, isn't he? Does the same opportunity exist for cleanery? Is there sort of like a an aisle that you could occupy? So, yeah, having Peter and Nick <coughs> and, and the team from Founders Advisory on board have been amazing. Like that's brought a whole lot of level of expertise and understanding of the fast-moving consumer goods sort of sector that we never had. Mm. So that's been really important. But when you look at the aisle, so we, we're in the cleaning aisle now, obviously, 
Um, we've got the sort of surface sprays in there and expanding out on that. So we're working with um, like things like a toilet cleaner, for instance, and a floor cleaner and dishwashing detergent. So um, we want to see a lot more of our products in that cleaning aisle. But then also personal care is a massive um, yeah. aligned category as well, like uh, much bigger than that. And so we've got some hand wash products, for instance, that we're entering that in. Um, and same proposition in a sachet mm-hmm. and then, yeah, awesome. Yeah, exactly. So sachet powder, tip it in a bottle, yeah. warm water, give it a shake, and then you've got a, a hand wash. Um, in our case, it thickens up into the sort of normal gel type um, yeah. product that you'd expect. Um, it's really moisturising, um, cleans your hands really well, and, and performs better than you'd ex- better than the sort of the traditional products that you have in there. Yeah, but um, is it a, is it a better price as well? Amazing! What a great journey you're on. You're working together as a couple. <laughs> You're still smiling most <laughs> of the time. Yeah. How's that been? Yeah, good. We um we've learnt to um have boundaries where we can say not tonight, no cleanery talk. We can't. I need a break. <laughs> or um, um yeah, I think we work together pretty well. We have very different brains. I'm 100 percent arty brain. Mark's kind of good mix of art and science. I think we complement each other pretty well. Um, he does what he's told most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that helps, certainly helps. Yeah. Uh, the Probably the other thing that helps is I spend a lot more time in the factory than Ali. Um, yeah. when, when sometimes in the evenings, as in, inevitably as a startup business, you, you sort of find you're working at all hours and in the evenings. And um, mm. I'll get a whole lot of grief about how hard I tap on the keyboard or something like that. <laughs> it's very um, noisy. And so I sort of think it's probably lucky that we're not sort of... Desk by desk de- in the factory. Desk by desk all the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we complement each other pretty well. You yeah, need those strategies, don't you? I've yes. got. Um, I work with my wife, and um, we do have separate offices. Apparently, I tap. Yeah, well, you must be the same. <laughs> I, I think it's really cool to have shared passions, though. And our kids are I, I, like our oldest son does our sales pitch better than we do. It's a real kind of family mission and passion. Right. I think it's really important to have something you believe in. Which, um, if he'd landed on something else that wasn't eco cleaning products, I don't know if I'd have had the same. <laughs> passion to join him but it was cool we found a kind of common ground that we could yeah, that's awesome. change the world together with which is exciting yeah mate it is important to like startups are hard man it's yeah. hard like you lose so much sleep and it's so much work and it's so much stress and when things are going well it's so much bloody fun as well like don't get me wrong yeah but it's hard and so the the pressure that puts on a family and on a spouse if they didn't sort of really get it mm. would be it'd be that'd be so much harder. There'd be a whole other level of stress that would go on it all together. So yeah. also there's always challenges of working with your spouse, um and, and plenty of opportunity for for, for ribbing or, or having a bit of a scrap over something. Um that understanding that comes with working with them I think is really in, invaluable. Like I've sort of Played around with all sorts of businesses in the past, and um, I think if I was as deep into those as I am into cleanery, it'd be tough to explain yeah. how that was working to, to <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I wish you well, and thanks for coming Thank on the you. show, Ellie and uh, Mark Sorensen. Oh, sorry, it's not. No, I'm Sorensen. Yeah, no, all good. I, I, my previous life is as a journalist. I've always worked under my maiden name. So yeah, I, I go by both. Right, very good. <laughs> Ellie, Ellie Sorensen, I'll take either. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. Nice one. Thank you. Hey, great to chat. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō.